Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine our show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Jared W., Paul M., Jackie A., and Mark G. On the show today, a new guest, Marna Clote, President and CFO of Ivanhoe Mines, the company that is developing out substantial copper, platinum, palladium, zinc projects in the Democratic Republic of Congo and also in South Africa. Ivanhoe is a cornerstone position here at Smith Weekly Research. Ivanhoe Mines is listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol IVN and also on the US OTC markets under the symbol IVPAF. Marna, it's a pleasure to have you on the show and welcome. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Well, Marna, thanks for taking the time. And where are you talking to us from and how are you holding up? I'm talking to you from uh, Sampen in Johannesburg, South Africa. And uh, I think it's a strange time for all of us being cooped up in our homes. Uh, we started going back to the office about two weeks ago. Nice to see a few friendly faces out. Um, but it's definitely a new normal. Everybody wearing face masks. Um, you can no longer stroll to the mall just to go and have a cup of coffee with a friend. So I think it's a difficult time for everyone ac across the globe. Well, good to have you and I'm glad everything's going okay there and, and you're staying healthy and well. For the audience, Marna, tell us about your background and then also if you can add the story behind what attracted you to Ivanhoe Mines. I wish I could say it was all predetermined and mapped out as part of my life plan, but sometimes you end where you are as a result of coincidence and blind luck. Um, I joined Ivanhoe initially to assist in listing the company and I stayed because of so much more. Um, it's a very dynamic company, taking projects through the mining life cycle. One year is really the same as the next. And I've been knee deep in mining right conversions and applications, negotiations with governments, ownership transactions, M&A, JV partnerships across the globe. And this all happened while I was in my 30s. I think if I uh, went to a, a bigger player uh, when I graduated as a chartered accountant, I would have ended up in a silo and not had the type of exposure I've had at Ivanhoe Mine. So it's it's definitely been the best sort of choice of my life uh, joining the group when I did um, 14 years ago. Well, let's look at the big picture, Marna, for a moment in natural resources. Ivanhoe has a suite of metals, mm -hmm. very substantial. Your view on the market conditions for things like copper, platinum group metals, mm -hmm. and zinc. I'll start with copper. I personally remain bullish on copper. It's my belief that the copper price will increase over time and it will recover on the back of Chinese demand and the falling inventories. When you look at copper fundamentals on the back of the, a project like Kamaokakula, even with copper prices at current levels, the project remains highly economical. But due to the resource size and life of the mine, you really need to take a long-term view. And, and that's what makes us so excited about Kamaokakula. The mine continues to grow at a rapid pace towards its first production, um, currently scheduled for Q3 of 2021. And we're well positioned to deliver um, 
the mine well time for unprecedented government stimulus packages um, aimed at reinvigorating the world economy. Um, so we are very bullish on copper and PGMs. We've seen significant increases in the price of palladium, rhodium, gold and nickel over the last three years. And that's a trend we hope continues. We're probably hopeful that um, platinum will follow suit. But our flat roof project is perfectly placed being near the bottom of the global cash cost curve. Um, so even at currently depressed platinum levels, it's still a game changer. Our platinum palladium levels are um, one to ratios one to one. And we've got very high concentrations of nickel and copper. And it's estimated that the platinum auto demand will only return to pre-diesel gate levels by 2025-2026, which fits very well with the timing of our platinum project entering the market at phase one capacity. And uh, we also um, of the belief that strict emission rules in China will keep bolstering platinum demand. And then lastly, just touching on zinc, zinc is mainly linked to steel fabrication and in the current COVID environment, it has trended down. Um, but zinc is also cited as one of the base metals to benefit from the global transition into clean uh, energy due to its using galvanized steel. So it's my belief that that trend will continue and the economy will recover over time and we'll see a gradual, albeit slow recovery in zinc outlooks. Well, you know, people talk, they use the term world class very loosely across different mm -hmm. assets throughout the world. But you can say with full confidence that Ivanhoe Mines has world class assets, real. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yes. Well, let's talk just briefly about the capital structure of Ivanhoe, Marna. Can you tell us about mm -hmm. the capital structure and also the major shareholders and the cash debt position at this point? Sure. Um, so our current market cap sits at approximately uh, 3.4 US dollars. Um, we've got um, three major investors, uh, Citic Metal, which owns 26.4%, Sejin Mining owns 13.8% in Ivanhoe Mines, and Robert Friesen owns 13.4% in his personal capacity. And then our other institutional investors include the likes of Fidelity, BlackRock, Invesco, Scoggin, Rothschild, um, so we've got a large number of institutional investors um, holding our stock. At the end of March, we had a cash balance of 603 million in the kitty, and we've got no significant debt. So that's a very good position to be in in the current market. Marna, sometimes I think, you know, talking to our audience and, and seeing what our audience has to say and looking at the natural resource sector, I think our audience sometimes doesn't realize the real scale of the Ivanhoe assets. Can you put that into context for us? Sure. So at Kamoa, um, our current updated estimate of the project's initial capital cost is approximately 1.3 billion. That was as at the 1st of January 2019. And the capital cost incurred by the Kamoa Kakula joint venture in 2019 amounted to 309.1 million. And a further capital cost of 80.9 million was incurred in the first quarter of this year leaving just over $900 million with construction progress on the processing plant and other surface infrastructure on track for initial production in the third quarter of 2021. Um, Ivano will obviously fund its proportionate share of this um, spend, um, which is 50%. The, the Kamoa Kukula project is owned 50% uh, by um, Ivano and 50% by um, Sejin. 
in in its holding company and then within the asset in country the Congolese government also owns a 20 percent stake in the mine our construction progress on the processing plant and other surface infrastructure remains on track and uh, we had very uh, limited delays as a result of COVID restrictions that was imposed within the African corridor. So we're quite fortunate that we're still on track. At Platte Reef, our estimated pre-production capital requirement is approximately 1.5 billion. That was the estimate um, in 2017 when we completed our um, bankable feasibility study. We're currently updating our feasibility study to take into account our uh, revised development schedule uh, since 2017 and also to update the cost and refresh the metal prices and foreign exchange uh, assumptions. This update uh, together with the study on a phased development plan for our Platteriff project is scheduled for completion in the third, third, third quarter of this year. And at Kapushi, um, we still need to spend a further 337 um, million um, to build mainly surface infrastructure. And um, the Kapushi project can uh, we can bring into production within uh, an 18-month period from commencement of surface work. So it is large-scale projects with um, large capital demands to bring them into production. And Marna, can you just talk a little bit about the resource size of these assets, the production profiles that are anticipated out of the gate? Can you just kind of give the audience a, a context from how big these deposits are? Okay, so uh, Kamau Kakula is an unrivaled resource base. Um, it's it will it's currently the world's uh, highest grade undeveloped copper deposit. And we've got 36.6 million tons of indicated and 5.6 million tons of inferred contained copper. We also have mineral reserves of 6.6 million tons of contained copper at an average grade of 5.48% copper. And it's still open down dip in a long strike. So it's got excellent uh, exploration potential. Flat reef, uh, we've got an indicated mineral resource of contained metal of 30.9 million ounces for 3PE and 31 million ounces uh, inferred. So these are large scale projects. Just briefly talk to us about the timeframes again for each of the projects. Uh, can you speak to Platte Reef where we are as far as initial production ramp up to speak to those dates for us? Kamoa, we're currently scheduled to go so at, um, into production third quarter next year. Uh, that will be for the first time. Um, there's a ramp up schedule of 3.8 million tons per annum, which are currently planned. Um, and we are publishing our uh, July, so there's some good news coming out soon. Um, our initial production would occur at a rate of 6 million tons per annum from the Kukula mine. This is based on this, on the sec as soon as we add the second phase. And uh, we will increase it to 12 million tons with more feet from the Kansoko mine. And then there's also a third six million ton per annum mine that will be developed from Kukula West. So all in all, it will be a, a mining complex um, that will ultimately um, produce 18 million tons per annum. The timelines will be dependent on uh, scheduling and uh, financing. So we're currently um, uh, anticipating that we will bring the second phase online sort of two years later than the first phase. Um, but we are looking at possibilities to bring those timelines forward for at Kamau Kukula. At um, Platte Reef, 
we are currently conducting a study to move forward, bringing the mine into production. There, it's really dependent on funding in terms of timing to get the mine online. And we're looking at taking the uh, published feasibility study case and breaking it down into smaller bite sizes and bringing a smaller mine into production and then basically uh, fund further development from the smaller mine and raising uh, the necessary funding to bring the 4 million ton per annum mine into production. That will then subsequently be expanded to 8 million tons per annum and then to 12 million tons per annum, uh, making it the largest primary PGM mine globally. Kapushi is a smaller case and um, there, as I said, it would take about 18 months to bring Kapushi into production once we start with the surface infrastructure. Talk to us just a little bit about the further need for finance, uh, whether it be debt finance, equity finance, or offtake. Mm -hmm. Can you just speak to what you yeah. guys see as your needs going forward into this initial production phase? And then going forward, will the production cash flows really take care of the expansion? How do you see that? Yes, so Kamara so Kakula is probably the, the easier one. Uh, it's fully funded for phase one. So um, we have we have no further funding needs to get phase one into production. And then one could one could take the view that you could get phase one into production and use the cash flows from the initial phase to phase to, uh, to fund the subsequent phases. And that's one school of thought. The um, the other the other possibilities that we are currently exploring is to look at ways to finance um, pulling forward phase two and ultimately commence with a phase two development uh, immediately after bringing phase one online. And that could take a number of, um, that uh, there's a number of financing initiatives that one could could tap. Um, you could look at uh, off-take financing, we could look at shareholder support from different shareholders or, or dip into the equity markets at an Ivano Mines level. And, um, uh, but I think the landscape for Ivanhoe as a company will definitely change next year once we are a producing um, company and we start generating revenue. It's it's always a difficult conversation to have with uh, finance financial institutions if you do not have revenues um, flowing. Um, at Platreef, we've we've done a lot of work on looking at finance packages. We've announced a, a couple of years back that we've put together a, um, a, mandate, a initial mandate leader ranger banking group consisting of export credit agencies, some of the major international financial institutions, some South African banks. They can definitely fund a large portion of the 4 million ton per annum mine. But there's always been this funding gap between the equity that we've contributed with our partners at Toshu and um, tapping into a full project financing facility. And in that regard, we are looking at uh, structured financing possibilities, off-tag possibilities. So those are all um, initiatives that we are currently exploring. And I think it'd just be important to point out to the audience that Ivanhoe Mines has very, very deep backing. And so my suspicion is that financing one way or the other will not be a problem and will also be on fantastic terms. Well, Marna, let's change gears. <laughs> let's move over to the recently released sustainability report. Can you give us an overview on this and then what items really stood out to you with key importance? 
Okay, so this is the third year in which we publish our annual sustainability report. I would say we regard sustainability as a core function of our business, and we have embarked on a jury on a journey of um, the progressive integration of sustainability across all our projects. Approach to sustainability is underpinned by the six capitals models of sustainable development. And this year we incorporated the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals into our reporting. And our report highlights how we plan to embed this in our strategy going forward. We have also aligned our environmental reporting with the task force for climate related financial disclosures framework and we have conducted climate change risk assessments in this regard um, our 2019 report proudly showcases our diverse workforce as well as the sustainability efforts undertaken at our key projects um, in 2019 we've spent close to 20 million on socio-economic development projects and our local procurement spent in africa totaled in excess of 300 million dollars um, our workforce increased by 64%, with an average of 81% local employment. Uh, we trained over 2,000 people in adult education and portable skills. And at Kamoa, through our enterprise development initiatives, local community farmers earned close to $350,000 in revenue for the year. We also recognize access to water as a basic human right, and our community development strategy prioritized the provision of access to water at Kapushi, where we supplied over 2,000 megalitres of portable water to the town of Kapushi. In terms of infrastructure in our host countries, we have partnered with local power utility in the DRC SNAL to assist with the refurbishment of hydropower stations for renewable power supply to the Kamau project. And we have also developed a new road linking the airport in Kowesi to our Kamau project. So we are very active across the different pillars of sustainability. And um, it's it's part of the DNA of our business. We, we don't really view it as a standalone add-on to how we approach things. We, we, we feel it's an ingrained part of what we do. Yes, and I, I would just add that in the natural resource sector, that this is a model for other companies, a scalable model for other companies that are also in the development stages. And whatever stage it may be, exploration, development, production, I think that what you guys are putting together here really serves as a scalable model that other companies should be looking at. And we need mm -hmm. these types of things in this business. And you've been in this business a long time. You know, terminology like corporate social responsibility, CSR, the new buzz mm -hmm. term, environmental social governance or ESG. You know, it seems like these terms change like the wind and they're maybe the flavor of the day, but hasn't good management teams <laughs> like Ivanhoe, like yourself, going back for decades, always practiced and realized that these matters were always important when developing projects? Oh, well, they all basically boil down to the doing things right the first time. You cannot build a mine in someone's backyard and not expect them to have a say and certain expectations and minimum requirements. Your social license to operate will determine your ease of doing business. And if you partner with your host communities and you do what is right in terms of contributing to your host nation by way of taxes and other benefits, then a mutually beneficial relationship is established. And uh, this relationship is like a marriage. You, you need to keep working at it. And if that's the way you perceive this and not just as another compliance aspect to the business, then you will be successful in how you approach your project. 
very well said. And I want to move on here with something similar and just maybe you can talk about it because it is related. South Africa and the Democratic Republic of Congo. Talk about how the management team has been able to consistently obtain a very productive relationship with host governments in jurisdictions that other people looking from the outside are perceived as difficult to operate in. How has Ivanhoe been able to just defy the odds and do a fantastic job with government and social relations? Well, I would say it's about building up a local presence with key local management that adheres to the highest standards of corporate governance, but also understands the cultural sensitivities and history. Um, you need to foster key relationship and you need to illustrate good corporate citizenship. And that assists with building trust and finding common ground with dealing with opposing views on some issues. And, and then of course you need patience and you need to have cognizance of challenges that these governments face today as well as legacy and historical injustices, which might drive the development imperatives. And once you can put yourself in their shoes, it, it becomes easier to negate some of these uh, issues that you face when you, when you do have differences with uh, your host nations. Very well. Marna, with your time working with Robert and other key people at Ivanhoe, what keys would you point out regarding the successes, the difficulties, and having a team that gets along with each other. What items would you point out for folks who are interested in seeing, you know, how you guys are able to make this work? Well, working for a visionary such as Robert requires one to be adaptable and you need to be open-minded. It's a highly rewarding environment, but you're challenged to think outside of the box and to present alternative ideas on an ongoing basis. Um, it's important to stay grounded and to focus on basic principles when approaching difficult tasks or come, to come up with new ideas. We have a very flat, flat structure in our organization and I, I firmly believe in an open door policy where you greet each other by name and, and you know people. We spend the majority of our, our day at work and we truly believe it's important that you like the person you sit next to. If you compare your work life to your home life, you're building a, a legacy for your family at work and you don't want to take your work to home. So you want to have an environment where you can freely share ideas and we leave work at work and leave home at home. And um, that's why we try and create a, a family culture within our business. And I, I would say that's probably what's kept most people uh, staying with the company. We've had very few people leaving the company over the past couple of years. Once you join Arvino, you never look back. Well, I appreciate the uh, the insights. And are there any, just kind of going on with, with what we just kind of mentioned here, are there any industry people that you would like to mention, perhaps that you found instrumental in your own experience and your own success that the audience really should pay attention to? Well, I would say my mentor was probably Lars Erik Johansson, our previous president and CEO. Um, he's taught me most tricks of the trade. He's now retired, but um, uh, currently in our environment, I would say Robert for his intellect and vision, he thinks big. And when you think big, you achieve great things. Um, we have a great team coming down the pipeline and many Africans that will write their name on the global mining stage. Um, our Executive Vice President Sustainability, Dr. Patricia Makesha, ticks that box. Um, she's one phenomenal African woman um, and she just oozes Madiba magic. So 
Um, I think there are different people, different aspects of the business that sort of inspires one. You know, one person would make you aspire to to change lives. And when when we mine, you should mine responsibly. And it's about providing a legacy for communities. And when you work with somebody like Robert, again, you you you're just in awe at the way his brain works and how we can come up with new ideas or, or think about structuring things differently that nobody else thought about. So I would probably highlight those two. Exit strategy for Ivanhoe, buyout or a long-term producer? It's a good question. Um, I would like to believe that this is our legacy and that we will build these projects in Africa and become a large culturally diversified mining powerhouse representing Canada, Africa, China, and Japan. But then again, anything's for sale at the right price. Appreciate your response there. And uh, <laughs> I, think, uh, I think folks would be very happy uh, either way at this point. And uh, it's just, just really getting underway. So it'll be interesting to see how that story plays out and how that develops. And Marna, any plans to have Ivanhoe listed on the Amex New York Stock Exchange? Not at present, but I would never say never. And for potential investors who are on the sidelines listening, Marna, what would you say to them at this stage and at current price levels? Why should they consider Ivanhoe Mines now? Well, I think it's we've got three disruptive world-class projects in our respective commodities, coppers, PGMs, and zinc. If you look at the resource size of particularly Kamau, Kakula, and Plat Reef, it's not a short-term investment. These are large ore bodies that's going to be around for hundreds of years. And it's about taking a long-term view. You cannot argue against our unrivaled resource bases. We're in the bottom quartile of the cash cost curves above Kamau, Kakula and Plat Reef. And therefore, in my mind, it's a definite buy stock. Excellent. And the best way for investors to reach out to you and to the company? Um, is mailing Bill Treneman or Matt Keevil, our investor relations team in Vancouver, and you can get their contact details at www.ivanominds.com. Well, Marna, it's been a fantastic time to chat with you. Good to hear from you. And again, thanks for coming on our show. Very nice meeting you as well. Thank you. Stay well and take care. <laughs>